Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. From the world of mergers and acquisitions, our guest today is the best-selling author of the book Exit Rich, the book Think and Grow Rich Today, and the book Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth. Michelle Seiler Tucker is the founder and CEO of Seiler Tucker Incorporated. In addition to being a mergers and acquisitions expert and author, Michelle is a certified senior business analyst and owns many businesses in several different industries. Having been in the business for 20 years, she and her firm have sold over a thousand businesses. And you will not be surprised to hear that Michelle is regarded as a leading authority on buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. She has appeared in Inc., Forbes, USA Magazines, and makes regular appearances on CNBC and Fox Business, and has her own podcast called Exit Rich. Michelle, welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, I've been working from home, and I was at my desk. You could see on the video that our listeners can't see, this is a my kind of workspace here, but it's actually behind there is the bed, <laughs> the nightstand. So I was talking to my husband on texting and I was like, yeah, I am interviewing Michelle Seiler Tucker for the podcast. And he was like, Michelle Seiler Tucker of Exit Rich. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he knew who you were. He said, turn around because her book is on the nightstand. <laughs> and it was such a funny coincidence. So I said, that's crazy. So got your book right here. Thank <laughs> you. Rich. So he Um, bought the book? So your husband bought the book? He had bought it previously. Yeah. He had bought it, I think, like a few weeks before. Wow. That's funny. Has he read it? Yeah. He started it. I don't think he's finished it yet. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So, Well, before we get into the business stuff, I want to talk a little bit about you. You're based out of New Orleans? I am. I'm from Long Beach, California, but I've been in New Orleans for many years. So that's where I live now. And what's your background? Did you study business? Yes, I've studied business, of course. <laughs> but, you know, as a little girl, I always knew that I was going to be an entrepreneur. So I did, you know, all kinds of different small type entrepreneurial businesses. I wasn't your typical little girl. My mom always said, gosh, you never play with toys. You never play with dolls. <laughs> Instead, I would always, you know, ask my mom for a notebook, a pen, or a clipboard, and I would just walk up to strangers at a bank, at a grocery store, and just start asking questions. What do you do? Do you have your own business? <laughs> How did you get started? You know, and I was doing that at a very, very young age. And I knew way back then that I really didn't want to work for anyone else. I wanted to be my own boss, mainly because I don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> and I knew I was going to be a writer, you know, because I always, like I said, you know, basically I was a little reporter back then. So I've owned many different businesses and different verticals. I did get a job at Xerox. Actually, Xerox recruited me and made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And then within six months, they promoted me to regional vice president over a hundred salespeople. And then I'm like, what am I doing? I'm an entrepreneur. How am I getting stuck 
in corporate America. And I decided to transition out of Xerox and I started my own franchise development consulting and sales company. I was an equity partner with different franchisors. And then I had so many buyers just kept asking me, do you have any existing businesses? And I kept saying, no, you know, we work with franchises, startup franchises. And I'm like, why am I saying no? I should be saying yes, yes, yes. And that's really what led me into starting my merchants and acquisitions business a little over 20 years ago. And a long time ago, I remember the first time I walked into a mergers acquisitions conference, there were about 3,000 men. <laughs> and they all turned around and looked at me. I was literally the only woman in the room. But since then, we've sold, I've personally sold over 500 companies, and my firm has sold over 1,000 altogether. And what types of companies are these? Are these just various industries? Can you talk a little yeah, bit about we're that? Not, we're industry agnostic. So we've sold, you name it, we've sold it. We've sold over a thousand businesses in pretty much every vertical you can imagine. Uh, manufacturing, distribution, staffing, healthcare, uh, waste management, you know, transportation, gosh, list, home, you know, real estate, land, hotels. I mean, you just mm -hmm. name it, we've done it pretty much. We're industry agnostic. I focus more on EBITDA. So, so my sweet spot to sell businesses are typically 10 million and up in purchase price with an EBITDA of over a million. Uh, my firm does take smaller type businesses. We don't just sell businesses either. It's, it's important to know that we're probably the only firm that specializes in not just selling. We specialize in buying, selling, fixing, and growing. Uh, Steve Forbes says 80% of businesses will never sell. 80%. That's a pretty, that should be a slap in the face for business owners, a wake up call, if you will, because you have less than a 20% chance of success in trying to sell your business. So I learned a long time ago, if I don't fix these businesses, grow these businesses, build them, then I'm going to starve to death. <laughs> and my clients, you know, won't be able to maximize the value of the sale of their business. So I specialize in partnering with business owners as well. I, I invest my money, my core competencies, my resources. I help fix their businesses, grow their businesses, put them on a build-to-sell model. I buy businesses and flip them. We merge businesses and sell businesses. At any given time, I own anywhere from you know two to three businesses all the way up to 10 that I'm building to sell. Mm -hmm. And the businesses that you own, that you're owning now, what industries are those in? So we're in medical Mm -hmm. and graphics and printing. Okay, interesting. Well, the reason we wanted to have you on the podcast today is really twofold. I mean, one reason is you're a woman in a very heavily male-populated industry, and you're not just in the industry, you're, you're really dominating the industry, mergers and acquisitions. So we do want to hear your advice to women in getting into this type of industry and also just how to survive, but also excel and rise to the top like you have? So, <laughs> I mean, my advice is probably simple. You know, when I walked into that room of 3,000 men, I'm just like, oh, well, this is going to be fun. <laughs> and I don't get intimidated easily. You know, a lot of women seem to get intimidated by that. If you're trying to be successful in, in a man's world, don't focus on it being a man's world. You know, where focus goes, energy flows. So you need to focus on what are your core competencies? What do you do better than everybody else? 
why did you choose this specific industry? You know, I chose mergers and acquisitions because I love entrepreneurship. I can't imagine myself in any other space. You know, buying, selling, fixing, growing businesses is my dream career. You know, I always ask, would you do what you do if there was no money? Would you still do what you do if there was no money? Would you do it for free? I would probably do it for free because I love it that Uh much. Yeah. And so don't focus on it being a man's industry. Focus on what your strengths are. Focus on your core competencies. Focus on your passion. Why did you enter into that industry to begin with? I mean, that's my biggest piece of advice because I don't let it bother me. I don't get intimidated by it. Does that make sense? Yep. It does make sense. Well, I know a lot of women um, in our community and our listenership would agree with you. I mean, that's that's why they're in a non-traditional field to begin with. But I know that there have been, you know, a lot of issues that are raised that people have faced in the industry, in the workplace. But it does seem that a lot of the women who rise to the top are somehow able to, I don't know, let things roll off their shoulders, ignore it. I don't know if that's the answer. I've been told by some of the millennial age group women coming up that, you know, they tell their peers now, like, don't ignore stuff. It's not okay. You know, like, don't, you know, play the boys club game anymore. We're changing things. And I think that's because like, more women are entering the industry. So have you felt like things have sort of shifted over time? You've been in it for 20 years. Things have definitely shifted in the M&A. You know, when I go to a conference now, I'm not the only female, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. it's probably... I don't know. It's probably more. It's probably still 97, 98% male dominated. But, you know, I go to a conference. There's a lot more females. There's a lot more women getting into the industry. And I think that's definitely changing. So, again, you know, I do let things roll off my shoulders, but I also speak my mind. You yeah. Know? <laughs> if right. I see an issue, like I remember, you know, speaking up at one of the associations and saying, hey, wait a minute. Why do only the men get to speak? As associations, why is it only men are picked to speak on the panels? And I've been speaking up about that for a very long time. And I'm not sure if I made the change, but I will tell you, I've spoken on the panel many times now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm a panel expert. And they have many women that are in charge and are running different uh, meetings and groups and things like that for the different associations. So I do see change. You know, it's slow, but I do see it changing for sure. Well, that's good to hear. And another reason we knew it would be great for our audience to have you on the show is we have a lot of business owners. We have uh, a lot of startup type entrepreneurs who have created companies. We also have a lot of women who have a skill such as like architecture, design, building, as well as the trades, and they're operating on a freelance basis. So let's start with them. Should women who are doing freelance work be forming their own companies? And what if they have another job also? Well, it's hard for me to say, it's hard for me to to answer that question and say, all women that are doing freelance jobs start their own company. I don't know because I don't know the woman, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. what are her her obligations? Does she have a family? Does she, is she a stay-at-home mom? I mean, there's so many different things that go into that for me to answer, but I'm always a component of women starting businesses, you know, for sure. But again, it depends upon the woman. It depends on what their objectives, what their goals are that they're trying to obtain. Well, that makes sense. So what if a woman comes to you and, you know, she is thinking of forming her own 
business. Like she's doing freelance work, but she doesn't feel like maybe she's growing at the pace she'd like to is forming her own business something that can help her do that. So I think, you know, if a woman is trying to enter into a certain industry, I think freelance is great because it gives you a great insight to ensure that you're going to like what you're doing, you know, that you like that industry, you're comfortable with that industry. And if you're trying to expand upon that, absolutely, you know, either joining an organization as maybe a partner or starting your own business is always one of the best paths to take. But before you start your own business, there's some due diligence you have to do. You know, you can't just go out necessarily go out there and start your own business. You need to do due diligence. You need to make sure um, you have a business plan, a marketing plan, working capital. Now you got to make sure you get your ducks in a row if you're going to start a business. And how do you know if you're the right person to start a business? Like I know that for you, you said that you didn't want to work for anybody else. You always knew that. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs feel that way. What if somebody doesn't quite know that so solidly in their mind? Yeah, I think they have to, you know, they have to just kind of do some soul searching and to ask themselves, you know, they just have to do a gut check and ask themselves that if they think that they, a lot of times people will leave jobs and start a business or buy a business like, oh my God, I hate this. So it's really hard to know. I always knew I was confident but, you know, I would just say, really start getting to know yourself. I know it sounds silly, but ask yourself, you know, what do you like to do? What makes you happy? When are you the happiest? You know, what makes you the most comfortable? What makes you the most insecure? And kind of go from there. You don't always have to start a business either. You can also buy a business, depending upon the industry that you're trying to enter into. It's a lot less risky in most cases to buy an existing business than it is to start a new business from scratch. So I would certainly encourage you, if you're looking at starting a business, get with an advisor to look at what businesses are available to purchase because sometimes it's easier to get loans to purchase existing businesses than it is a new business. Well, we know that you're the person to go to as the expert on buying and selling businesses. Your new book, Exit Rich, is about selling So let's talk about the book. You co-authored it with Sharon Lecter of Rich Dad, Poor Dad fame. And Steve Forbes called Exit Rich a, quote, gold mine for entrepreneurs. Why did you write this book? So Exit Rich is my third book that I've written. And the reason I wrote Exit Rich is, well, many reasons. But first and foremost, when I wrote Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013, I did the research and learned that 90% of startups would fail. 90% of startups within that first one to five years are the most risky, right? But I sell businesses all over the United States. And when I'm, you know, I was traveling, I would look at a strip center and go, oh my gosh, this was full and now it's empty. What's going on here? (laughs) So I really started doing research because I knew I was going to write another book. And I was flabbergasted to learn that the business landscape has actually flip-flopped. You know, I bought this research to Sharon and she's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? It's actually flip-flop. Startups are not at risk anymore. Only 30% of startups will go out of business now. But out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses that have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70% of them will go out of business. 70%. So those are really startling statistics facing business owners have been in business over 10 years. You hear about the big public companies all the time in the media, like Toys R Us and business 75 years goes out of business. Kmart, Steinmart, Pier 1, 
Disney stores are closing. Godiva Chocolate's closing 1,500 locations. GNC is closing 900 locations. But guess what the media doesn't talk about? The media doesn't talk about all the private businesses on every street corner, in every mm-hmm. town, in every state across the great nation. These businesses are dropping like flies. Business owners are exiting poor, selling for pennies on the dollar, closing their business, and even worse, filing bankruptcy. So that's number one reason I wrote it. The other reason I wrote it is because what Steve Forbes says is true. 80% of businesses will never sell. And the number one reason why businesses don't sell, there's like thousands of them, but one of the number one reasons is because business owners never think about their exit strategy. They never think about selling their business until they have to due to an internal or external catastrophic event occurring. You know, internal could be health issues, partner disputes, divorce, death. External is this pandemic we're in or the business not doing well. The worst time to sell your business is during a catastrophe. The best time to sell your business is when it's in its prime. So I wrote Exit Rich, not just about selling your business, but how you should build an asset that is sustainable, that you can scale, and when you're ready, you will actually have a sellable business. So you think it should be part of every business owner's strategy, even if so, I mean, many entrepreneurs are in this just because they want to be in it. They're passionate about it. You even said that if you weren't getting paid, you'd be doing what you do. So, you know, I think especially a lot of the women entrepreneurs that I know, they're in it because they want to make a difference. They want to disrupt their industries in some cases. So for people like that, they may want to do this their whole lives. Should they still be planning a possible exit, even if it's not their purpose? A thousand percent. And here's the reason why. Nothing lasts forever, does it? No. Of course not. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I love what I do, but I have an exit plan too, Mm -hmm. because I know I'm not going to be doing this forever. Okay. Things happen. Catastrophes occur. I had a lady call me from Texas not that long ago and asked me if I could sell her husband's business because he dropped dead of a heart attack. Didn't Mm -hmm. expect him to die of a heart attack. Wasn't in their grand plan. Mm -hmm. He left her with a huge financial debt, huge financial debt, and she knows nothing about the business. And guess what? He didn't build the business to sell because he just thought he would hold on to it forever. Mm-hmm. His business is not sellable because he doesn't have a business. He has a glorified job in which he went to work at every day versus a business that worked for him. He has no employees. He has some contractors. He has no processes. I talk about how to build your business using the proper infrastructure to get your business to run on all six cylinders, all six P's. He didn't have any of the six P's. His business didn't run on any cylinder. So guess what? His business is not sellable. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, she's going to have to file bankruptcy. So everyone should build their business to sell. This is why 80% of businesses don't sell is because people have the mindset that, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I love my business and I'm just mm-hmm. going to have it forever. If you build your business with the end in mind, like Stephen Covey says, start with the end in mind. Guess what you're going to have? Emily, you're going to have a much more profitable business that can run without you, that is sustainable, Mm -hmm. and you can scale it. And if you ever decide you want to sell it, it will be part of that 20%. It will be sellable. If you don't, then you're not going to have a sellable asset if something were to occur. And guess what? Our likes and passions change too. Mm -hmm. We don't always like or love what we once did. 
And so a lot of business owners want to sell their business because of burnout. They're tired of doing what they're doing and they want to go out and create their next masterpiece. I think this is amazing advice because I think a lot of business owners, they don't think about it just for the reasons I already said, and we discussed about it being their passion and they always want to do it. It does not occur to them. But I mean, also, I think there's almost a stigma sometimes, especially among people that are in entrepreneurship for the passion of it. There's almost a stigma to think like you would actually sell your business. So it's almost like an untouchable concept that you don't you don't want to talk about it or you don't want to plan for it. Yeah, perhaps. I think, you know, and that's one of the reasons that I wrote Exit Rich is just to really educate business owners, because Mm -hmm. here's the bottom line. We really have to change our mindset. And we really have to change the way that we think about our business. Our business is not our baby. You know, always say your babies are at home. Go home, love them, hug them, kiss them. Your business, Emily, should be your most valuable asset and you should treat Mm -hmm. it as such. If you have a financial advisor and you have a portfolio, you know, you don't tell your financial advisor, no, don't sell my stocks. No, no, no. I'm so passionate (laughs) about my stocks. These are my babies. You tell your advisor, buy, buy low, sell high, right? Mm -hmm. We got to change our mindset around entrepreneurship, around our business so that we can create, you know, this machine that can run without us because the problem, the number one reason that businesses are not sellable is because the owner is the business. Owners yeah. have not created businesses. They think they have this great business. In fact, what they have is a glorified job that they go to work at every day, mm-hmm. not a business that actually works for them. And the reason it's not sellable because buyers are not buying jobs. So you got to start looking at your business as your most valuable asset yeah. because it will be so it will be less headaches for you, number one, Emily. <laughs> number one, because can you imagine, you know, if you don't put in that solid infrastructure and you're like most entrepreneurs doing everything yourself, you don't get exhausted at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs are exhausted. They're burned out. I have entrepreneurs that tell me, you know, Michelle, I started my own business because I wanted a better quality of life. And I got entrepreneurs that tell me I haven't taken a vacation in nine years. Yeah. I haven't been able to see my kids play soccer or go to my kids play or their gymnastic event, you know, and that's not a better quality of life. So what Exit Rich is all about is building that solid infrastructure on the six P's, people, product, process, proprietary, patrons, profits, so that you have a well-oiled machine mm-hmm. that can run without you. And generate revenues without you. And when you're ever ready, you'll have a sellable asset. Isn't that a much better position to be in instead of the flip side of that? Where you run your baby, run your baby, run your baby. And then all of a sudden, boom, something happens and you want to sell it. You don't have a sellable asset. So the 6P method that you discuss in your book, can you tell us just quickly, what are the 6Ps? So number one is people. And the reason I start with people it's because the biggest mistake that business owners make is they feel that if they want things done right, they have to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. So they have their finger in every pie, but that can't be further from the truth. You will never grow without letting go of the control. You have to focus on your strengths, hire your weaknesses, put the right people in the right seats and ask the who question, who handles you know, legal, customer service, marketing, who handles manufacturing, distribution, quality control. The clue here, Emily, is you should never be next to the who because <laughs> mm-hmm. you're trying to build an actual business. Now, if somebody wants to keep a, a job and that's okay, 
then that's fine. But what Exit Rich is all about is building a business that works for you rather than you working for it. And then the second P is product. You know, this is your product, your industry, your service. One of the number one reasons that 70% of businesses are going out of business after being in business 10 years is because guess what they stopped doing? They stopped doing what I call AIM. AIM is always innovate and market. They stopped mm-hmm. innovating. Toys R Us did nothing different in 75 years. Blockbuster, they had the opportunity to buy Netflix twice, sat back and did nothing, so they're out of business. Mm-hmm. So that's product. You have to ask yourself, is your industry, your service, your product on the way up or on the way out? Do you have an Amazon? If you have an Amazon, you sell. You sell when you're in your prime. Okay. If you have a blockbuster, go ahead. No, I'm going to let you finish. I did have a question about that. So I want to go back to, you know, what you do if you are in a, an industry that is in decline and what you do if you're in an industry that is rising. So go ahead. I'll let you continue. So I was just going to say, if you have uh, an Amazon, you sell. If you have a Blockbuster, obviously you don't sell because you're never going to be able to maximize value. This Mm -hmm. is when you really need to pivot. This is really when you need to ask transformational questions. You know, I always tell my clients, I always work with my clients on asking these three questions. Amazon did this back in the 90s. You ask yourself, number one, what business am I in? Because the business you think you're in, Emily, is not the business you're in or not the business you should be in. So number one, what business am I in? Amazon did this in the 90s and said, we're in the book fulfillment business. We fulfill book orders. Number Mm -hmm. two, what do we do better than everybody else? What's our core competency? What's our USP? Mm -hmm. Unique selling proposition. Amazon said, we do fulfillment better than anyone in the world. Number three, the most obvious question is what business should we be in? Should. And Amazon said, we should be in the fulfillment business, fulfilling products, for everyone all around the world, not just books. These three questions transformed Amazon from a small book fulfillment center to the multi-billion dollar worldwide, worldwide conglomerate that they are today. Now, these questions are transformational. Most business owners are transactional. They're in the day-to-day. You will never grow through transactional. You only grow through transformational. You only grow by working on your business, not by working in it. Mm-hmm. What was your question? Or yeah. You okay. <laughs> well, I do want to get back. I know there's so much to unpack. I do want to get back to your, the six P's. So we, I think we went through two or three of them, but the question when, when I stopped you, because I, I think you were like just about to get into that topic about, you know, what to do when industries are in decline versus when they're rising up. So you're saying if your industry is rising, it's the time to sell. Yeah. So your industry or your business specifically is in its prime that's mm-hmm. when you should really sell because businesses have life cycles just like humans do. Right. And you want to sell when you're in your prime. That's when you're in your adult phase. So make sense? Let me give you an example to illustrate. <laughs> Toys R Us, 2015. There's life cycles of a business from the incubator to death. That's humans. We go, Mm -hmm. we're born, we're put in the incubator, then we die, right? Same thing with businesses. In 2015, Toys R Us, revenues were $11.5 billion. $11.5 billion, Toys R Us, adult, in their prime. Mm -hmm. 2015, what happens after adult? What happens? You're young. (laughs) So what happens after adult? Well, um, retirement? No. 
You go from adult phase to senior citizen. Okay. Senior citizen. Senior citizen, one year later, 2016, Toys R Us goes from $11.5 billion in revenue to filing bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. What happens after senior citizen? What's the next stage of life? Well, death. What happens after senior citizen? <laughs> What's the next stage of life? I, I don't, I want to say death, but I don't want to get in trouble. Yes, death. <laughs> yes, <Okay>. death. <laughs> Two years later, after, after Toys R Us had $11.5 billion in revenue mm-hmm. in 2016, they died. They closed 1,500 mm-hmm. locations in 35 countries. Mm-hmm. So why do you think I'm saying selling your prime? Mm-hmm. What goes up also comes down. Nothing mm-hmm. lasts forever. Toys R Us should have sold in their prime. Business owners, a lot of times, say, oh, my gosh, my business is doing so well. It's doing so great. I don't want to sell. And then guess what? Their business takes a turn. Something happens. Catastrophic event occurs. And their business goes down and never comes back up again. Yeah. So what if you're a woman working in the industry? Because you talked in your book about different industries that are rising. And some of the ones you mentioned were like construction and civil engineering and and real estate, freight trucking, architectural services. This is really our listenership. I'm wondering, so what should they be doing then? Does that relate as if it were a business that they should be looking to somehow cash out or should they be staying in the industry? What's your advice? Well, again, it depends upon the individual, right? It depends upon their objectives or goals or lifestyle. It depends on what they're trying to accomplish. It depends upon, look, the industry could be in its prime and doing really, really well, but the business, maybe not. Maybe because of lack of poor leadership, maybe Mm. because they don't have the right people. They're not running on all six cylinders, all six Bs. So just because an industry is doing great doesn't mean that individual business owner is doing great. True. Okay. So, so I don't want to look at it based on the industry. You got to look at it based upon the business itself. Okay. So if, if you're in an industry that's rising, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to, to stay in or hop out. It really, you just have to find the right place within the industry. And then what if you're in a dying industry? Is that the same thing or should you well, definitely I mean, restaurants are dying, right? Mm-hmm. Hospitality has been dying because of the pandemic. That doesn't mean that they just close up. That means they have to get creative, Emily. They got to think about how to do things differently. You know, a restaurant gets paid, and this is another thing on product. Product, one of the biggest mistakes business owners make is they have one way they get paid. You can't have one way you get paid. You need to have multiple revenue centers. Restaurants have one way. They get paid by patrons coming in and eating or taking food to go. Where's their e-commerce business, Emily? Where's products that they could sell that are unique to their restaurant, unique to that chef, unique to what they cook? You know, you got to get creative. You know, I've seen a lot of restaurants step way out of that box and do things that they've never done before. And that's what we're talking about here. If you're in an industry that's dying because of the pandemic, that doesn't mean you just pack up and go home. That means you ask yourself, what business are you in? What's your core competency? What makes you unique? And what business Mm -hmm. should you be in? Make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. We have a restaurant here that's really good at creating experiences. They ask themselves, what Mm -hmm. do we do? What What business are we in? They didn't say we're in the restaurant business. They say, we're in a creating experience business. That's what we do. People come in and they stay here for three or four hours to have lunch (laughs) because Mm -hmm. we're not just, people don't come here for lunch. They come here for the experience. So we're an experience business. What do we do better than everybody else? We create experiences. What business should we be at? They started virtual wine and cheese tastings with a sommelier and sent packages from $100 to $500 
uh, you paid that, they will ship it to your doorstep. And yeah. then they would do a Zoom call and everybody would connect and they would create an experience. So you got to step out the box, step outside the box, get creative and come up with ideas so that you can weather this storm. Well, I know we're almost out of time, but I don't want to leave our listeners hanging with the peas here. So let's, let's um, go through the rest of them when we had a few yeah, more. Right? And unfortunately, yeah, I love to give more detail, <laughs> but I know. processes is the next one. Processes are, it's so important. You cannot have a successful, sustainable, scalable business without processes. Your processes have to be designed with customer experience in mind, not mm-hmm. based upon your own agenda. You know, quick example, one of doctor's hours. Doctor's hours are when? Nine to five. That's when we all work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so their okay. processes are designed around their own agenda, not their patients. Mm-hmm. So you got to go back and ask yourself, what else my clients want? What do they need? How can I make it easier for them to do business with us? Those processes. You need processes, SOP checklists, policy and procedure manuals, and everything has to be well documented. The next one is the highest value driver. This is proprietary. This can take you from a three multiple to five to 10 multiple. These are proprietary assets. It's branding. The more well branded you are, the more we can sell your company for. So it's branding, trademarks, patents, contracts, databases, celebrity endorsements, radio personality, placements, online, online positioning, you know, Mm -hmm. the Amazon, Wayfair, Etsy, all of the big online players, but that's the highest, highest value driver. Then you have patrons. Patrons is your customer base. Most Mm -hmm. businesses follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of their revenues comes from 20% of their clients. That's customer concentration. You need a customer diversification. And then the last Mm -hmm. fee is profits. Lack of profits is never the problem. It's always a symptom of not running on one of the other five Ps. So I have okay. come to me. Yeah, I have clients that come to me all the time and say, Michelle, I got a, a profits problem. I'm like, no, you got a people problem. No, you got a process problem. Now, yeah. in that proprietary, there's lots of mistakes that business owners make in that proprietary that can literally put them out of business, but we don't have time to get to. Yeah, let's talk about this. What are the top mistakes business owners make? Yeah. So if I would, if I knew that question was coming, I would have weaved that in with every P. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the biggest mistake that business owners make is they created a job, not a business. They work in their business, not on their business. And we talked about products. We talked about processes. As far as proprietary goes, branding is everything. The more well-branded you are, the more I can sell your company for. As long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumers, nobody's paying you money for Blockbuster. The most valuable brand in the world is, Dina? Google? No. Coca Cola? Nope. They're all in the, top, they're in the top 10. <laughs> nope. Guess again, girl. <laughs> Three strikes, you're out. No, no. <laughs> Start with an A. Oh, Amazon? Apple. Oh, Apple. Apple. $359 billion is just the brand. That's not including cash flow, assets, inventory, anything else. So build your brand. Trademarks are huge. Trademark your company name, trademark your podcast, your slogans, your products. Everybody forgets to trademark their products. But when I say trademark, that doesn't mean you think of a company name, you go to GoDaddy, you get the dot com, you're like, yes, I got the dot com. But then you go to your state, get a state trademark, but you never check the federal database. The biggest mistake that business owners make is they don't check that federal database. Mm-hmm. I've seen businesses in business 5, 10, 15 years all of a sudden receive a cyst and desist letter and they have to stop using that company name and they have to start the branding process all over again. 
So this is huge. Make sure you have a federal trademark on your podcast. Do you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we do. Okay, good for you. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, oh, products are big. Let me talk about products really quickly. So like your footwear. I don't know if you have different names, different styles, if you have federal trademarks. We have a company who we're selling for about $60 million. They have 12 products. Each product has a federal trademark because each product is exclusive to a retail chain. Like one is exclusive to Walmart, one's exclusive to Target, one's in TJ Maxx, and so on and so on. So it's very important to get federal trademarks on your products as well. Patents are huge. We all know that if you watch Shark Tank, we sold a business for $18 million and that company wasn't making any money, but guess what they had? They had 18 patents. Contracts is where customers make, uh, business owners make mistakes as well. Manufacturing contracts, vendor contracts, distribution contracts, franchise or with franchisees are very valuable. The most valuable contracts are client contracts, especially if you have a subscription model with reoccurring revenue. The mistake that business owners make with contracts, and remember, I've been doing this 20 years over a 1,000 transactions. I've never seen a business owner get this right. You need the two-sentence transferability clause in your contract that says this contract is transferable upon a new entity. The other big mistake is a lot of business owners hold their IP, their intellectual property in the same corporation as their business. Don't do that. You need a separate corporation. Let's say you get sued. Do you want to lose your IP? That's why you need a separate corporation. Okay. Also, business owners are notorious for piercing a corporate veil and losing a protection. How do you pierce a corporate veil? You pierce a corporate veil by signing PGs, personal guarantees, by taking out a mortgage against your house, by doing different things like that will pierce the corporate veil of your entity. So it opens you up for exposure And a lot of business owners, when they file bankruptcy, they don't just lose their business assets. Most of them will lose their personal assets too. That's why you always want to hold your IP in a separate corporation. Mm -hmm. Okay. We already talked about um, a big mistake that business owners make uh, as far as, oh, databases too. Databases are extremely valuable. I can sell your business for millions, billions, even if you're losing money. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. How much money was WhatsApp making? Nothing. They were hedging, (laughs) (laughs) but they had a billion users. So that's what we're talking about is synergy. So one of the biggest mistakes that business owners make is they don't understand databases, but you also have your database. If you have a valuable database, hold that entity in a separate corporation as well. We talked about customer concentration versus customer diversification. The other big mistake too is that most business owners don't know their numbers. I just talked to a gentleman yesterday in California. They're doing about $4 million in gross revenues. They have no idea what their net income, what their EBITDA is. And there's about, I think it's two out of five businesses. Don't quote me. But there's trillions of trillions of dollars that get embezzled every year by business owners. Because business owners don't know their numbers. I think it's one or two out of five businesses. Who's embezzling from them? Partners, family members employees, <laughs> even their internal CPAs in some cases. Business owners usually have two extremes. One extreme is they got to have their, their finger in every pie and they got to micromanage everything. The other extreme is they're like, okay, I'm going to let go of everything. And they never, they trust, but they never verify. You know, so you should always inspect what you expect. You should always trust, but verify, especially when it comes to your money. 
Well, there's one thing I just wanted to ask you really quickly. I wanted to go back because you, it was very fascinating. You said that it used to be, now I'm trying to remember exactly what you said, but that it used to be that 70% of, or that 80% of businesses would fail, but now startups, 30% of startups are failing. It was so 90% of startups okay. would fail. And now it's only 30%. Why that change? Why does that So change? here's a big reason why. Because a couple of reasons. Number one is the startups used to be what I call dreamer businesses in my book. A dreamer business is someone says, oh, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to start a coffee shop because it's always been my passion to run a coffee shop. But they don't do their due diligence. They don't do their homework. They don't really study and realize that, hey, by the way, there's five other coffee shops in the same block. (laughs) And so I call these dreamer businesses. I think the big difference is that businesses are being started by millennials now and Gen Zs more than ever before. And millennials and Gen Zs are not saying, oh, I want a coffee shop. (laughs) They're looking around and noticing where are the deficits? Where are the problems? You know, and then where are the solutions? So a lot of startups now have all been founded because they're trying to solve a problem. When you're trying to solve a problem and you have a unique idea, in your business, in most cases, if you've done your homework, if you've done your due diligence, if you have enough working capital to support you, sustain, you know, sustain the business, then you're going to be successful. But we don't need another coffee shop. We don't need another ice cream store. <laughs> you know, so that's one of the biggest differences, innovation. Remember I said 70% of businesses are going out of business because of lack of aim, which is always innovative in market. The entrepreneurs that are starting businesses now are more innovative than they have ever been before. So we can credit that we can really credit the millennials. I want to say it's all millennials, but it is a lot of millennials. It is Gen Z's. I have a lot of Gen Z's that work for me. I just got a lesson the other night when we went to dinner to celebrate Exit Rich. It's a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And I just got a lesson from my employees about what the cutoff is for millennials. (laughs) 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 And when Gen Z's began. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's also Generation X. So it's not all millennials and Gen Z's, but it is a large portion of. So interesting. Well, where can I? Why do you think I hired? That's why I hired millennials and Gen Z's. That's why you hired them. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because I have a problem. Many of them are problem solvers. Many of them, you know, have a sense of entitlement, but many of them are hard workers and problem solvers. So true. Well, I want to know where our listeners can find you and find your books. So let's talk a little bit about Exit Rich. You mentioned it earlier that Steve Forbes says Exit Rich is a um, goldmine for entrepreneurs as they leave way too much money on the table. Sharon Lecter is my co-author. She wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. She's a New York Times bestselling author. And she also is a CPA, financial literacy expert, and the advisor to different presidents. She writes, so I write every chapter. She writes the mentor's corner after each chapter. And Kevin Harrington, the original Shark on Shark Tank, wrote the foreword. Plus, we have testimonies from Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen from Chicken Soup for the Soul, you know, Brad Sugars, that owns Action Coach, and many more. So you can get Exit Rich. Now, for anyone that lives inside the United States, you can go to ExitRichBook.com because we're still offering all the bonuses. So ExitRichBook.com, $24.79 plus shipping. We'll email you the digital download. We'll ship the hardcover to your doorstep. We'll give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club where there's video training, video content, and me doing deep dives in these different techniques and strategies that I've been teaching for the last 20 years. 
plus all the documents you need to run your business and sell your business. So we have sample employee handbooks or charts, policy and procedure manuals. To sell your business, we have sample 11 tents, purchase agreements, due diligence checklists, closing documents, and much more. All the documents you need to operate and and sell your business are there for your review and download. And let me tell you, Emily, these documents will cost you over $50,000. Mm-hmm. $50,000 if you were trying to recreate them. I know because I spent the money myself. That's number one. Number two, we also give you a 30-day membership into Club CEOs, which is an entrepreneurship mastermind where we really help entrepreneurs become transformational. Mm-hmm. Transformational so they can build a sustainable, scalable business. And if they're ever ready, then they have a sellable asset. So the first half of Exit Rich, just to clarify, is all about building the infrastructure. So you will have a business that is profitable. And then the second half is about selling. And that's all at ExitRichBook.com. So interesting and educational. I think my big takeaway is if you're running a business, even if you don't imagine that you'd ever want to sell, that has nothing to do with whether you should be preparing to sell. So yeah, nothing lasts forever. You know, it's kind of yeah. like, I mean, think about empty nesters, right? Their mm-hmm. children leave the house. Do you know that most couples get divorced after the children leave home because they have nothing to talk about? <laughs> they have nothing <laughs> in common. So nothing lasts forever. You really need to look at your business as the most valuable asset that you own. Well, my, ch- my children would be very happy to hear you say that the boots are not my third baby. Michelle, <laughs> <laughs> Siler Tucker, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us on the Hazard Girls podcast today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.